being willing to ask and be annoying to the producer. That was the lesson I learned when I was at Warner Brothers asking around, is that nobody discouraged me not to get up and ask somebody at the top, hey, I want this job. Because it's either now or never. I don't care if I'm not good enough, I'm gonna go up to that guy and ask her, and let them tell me no or yes. That's how I saw it. Hello, welcome everyone to Straight Ahead, an animation podcast where we spotlight rising Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are the future voices of the animation industry. I am Raymond Ozalanda, one half of your co-host. And I'm Yuki Okamura-Wong, the other half of our whole host. This month is a little different. Just like last August, we're taking a break from our usual format and interviewing those with a little more experience or unique jobs within the animation space, or adjacent to animation. Our guest this week is Servan Castillo. He is a Dominican artist who has been an animator since 2013, so almost 10 years. But just a few years ago, he switched to storyboarding and is now working for Warner Brothers Animation. Would you mind telling us a bit more about yourself? Yeah, hi. I'm come from the Dominican Republic. I came to the United States when I was a young kid, and I've always wanted to be an animator. And I went to High School of Art and Design in New York City. And after that, I went to School of Visual Arts. And now I'm here. I've worked at multiple studios and done some freelance through my career. And I'm happy to be here. I'm very, very uh, honored to be part of the podcast and be invited. Yeah, exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into it. Totally. The way we like to start off on Straight Ahead is by playing a little game called In Between. We're going to give you two similar choices, and then you have to choose in between the two of them and let us know why. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Sweet, sweet. I'll start us off with the first question. Would you rather attend the next Tenkaichi Budokai from Dragon Ball or the UA Sports Festival from My Hero Academia? I think I would I would go for Tenkaichi just because oh, wow. I, I'm so I love Dragon Ball Z. Uh, I love both actually. In fact, I have statues of both series back here, so that's a hard choice. <laughs> but I would I would go for Tenkaichi because I have had more of a time with it, and I always enjoyed that part of the of the anime. So I, w- I would like to watch it to be honest. <laughs> for the English, it's the World Martial Arts Tournament, but for the yeah. the original, it's called the Tenkaichi Budokai. Oh, yeah, I was yeah. gonna ask because I've only heard Tenkaichi in the video games. Mm-hmm. Right, that's what they call it yeah yeah that's the that's the title yeah dragon ball they have the tenkaichi budokai yeah, yeah the, the, the game series is the tenkaichi budokai series but yeah okay. the actual tournament is the tenkaichi budokai yeah i think it's like battle under the heavens i think that's what it means or something like that yeah but the tournament would be so cool to see though if i'm being honest as big of a dragon ball z fan i am i think i would want to watch the ua sports festival why why well, that's the thing <laughs> <laughs> I would love to watch both. It makes you made it really hard. <laughs> I know, I know. But like, I think the only reason why I would go with the sports festival is because there's a bit more variety. Yeah. There's more fun, like traditional like games that they usually play in Japan, like a race or like that horse game that they do. Oh, so yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. It'd be cool to see that. It's a festival. I mean, both of them have like cool food outside of the arena or outside of the venue. Mm-hmm. But because it has like more of this festival kind of feel, and also it still ends with a tournament. So I still get a tournament, but I got to see a little other right. fun little side games before we get to the big like, you know, tournament. Yeah. But also, I feel like at the Tenkaichi Budokai, there's always like a villain that ends up kind of <laughs> destroying the arena. Oh, <laughs> so, you don't want that in the process. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like I'd be more safe watching the sports festival than going to the, the martial arts tournament. Yeah, I should have considered that. <laughs> I feel like that, that doesn't 
doesn't always happen. I mean, what if Vegeta shows up and your and your day was the Majin Buu episode with Majin Vegeta fights Goku? What if that was your day and then you die? <laughs> I mean, you, you could also have been lucky and been to the one where Hercule won. Oh, right. Or Mr. Satan, yeah. Oh, my God. Or the Yamcha fight. Where they're all like, oh, wait, the tournament happened? We missed it. What happened? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, you could have been any one of those days. You could have bought the wrong day ticket. Mm-hmm. But I would prefer to go to the other one because I'm like, you get the food and you get the, to have a little fun before the you watch the sports and everything. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like wow. something I would do, to be honest. They really convinced him. <laughs> yeah. Someone put out that I love Dragon Ball Z, though. Is that the secret part of the convincing? That's funny. <laughs> Damn, you brought me to the other side. Yeah, for real. A side that I'm also part of. So in a way, I didn't. <laughs> what about you, Yuki? Uh, I mean, I think you make a good point that it's more than just the, the like, fighting tournament. Mm-hmm. Unless you just really like MMA sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I do kind of like that they have the different fun little games. They do that sort of like Japanese sports festivals in general, right? Like, they play little, like, games on top of, like, meter dashes or actual sports and stuff. So Yeah. I think that's really nice. Having, like, a little bit of difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than just punching each other, which is also very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you still get the punching. Well, you get the cool superpowers or superpowers, which is also really interesting. Yeah. 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 Because I feel like it only gets interesting when you see Goku or anybody of the main cast fight. When you see like two of the two no names just fighting that aren't part of the Z fighter, it's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. It's just a regular fight thing. It's But when it's Goku and yeah. versus TN, oh, that's when it gets interesting. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Because like even when Goku and stuff are there, people don't really recognize him as like somebody famous. Yeah, like until they see him start doing something, then they're like, yeah. who's that guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though he's been there for years. Yeah. Like, even as a, as a little kid. <laughs> yeah, even though he was the winner for one of the years, like, the only person that recognized him is the announcer. Yeah. Everybody else is like... Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he grew up so fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only people uh, people ever remember is Hercule, because he made a career out of it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he's like the human version of it, right? Like, all these super strong guys, but he's like technically like a normal guy, you know? Yeah, that's like, again, he, he won the year where no one from the Z Fighters competed. Yes. <laughs> and it's it's the it's the best thing. I just love how they carry that. Yeah. Honestly, like I like that too because it's it's one of the things where it's like he was able to take that small victory and capitalize on that success. <laughs> and like like Hercule would be the king of like TikTok or something. Like he would max he would maximize every amount of like little publicity or success that he could try to like drain every ounce of fluid out of it. Yeah, so yeah. Funny. <laughs> it's so cool. Like I grew up in the Dominican Republic. We had the the Japanese names oh. uh, two months after it was released in Japan. Oh. So like when I watched Dragon Ball, like Hercule's name was Mr. Satan. <laughs> Yeah, Mr. Sid. <laughs> and I learned about his name being Hercule here in the United States. I was like, why is his name Hercule? That's so, that's wrong. Because I couldn't say Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, what's going on? And I went to a, I went to a religious school over there. Uh... So I wasn't allowed. People, my, my mom is very religious, but she never cared. So thank God. Bless my mom. <laughs> she wasn't hard on me on that, but the school was. <laughs> <laughs> but my mom was never hard on me on watching anything on TV like that. She was very chill about it. That's nice. That's good. All right. Last question. Which company would you rather run? Wayne Enterprises Incorporated from Batman the Animated Series or Stark Industries from the Iron Man Animated Series? Hmm. I feel like I would run Wayne mm-hmm. just because... Uh, with 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 Tony Stark, it just deals a lot with like. Not only does he make technology, I mean, he makes cool technology yeah. for like like his, his machines, but then it's also a lot of war stuff yeah. in the background. At least at the beginning of his career, there's a lot of the, uh, dirty money in there. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. I mean, depends your opinion on that sort of stuff, but. 
that's just I feel like the answer is easier with Wayne because of how Batman is and what he does I feel like it's takes a step back from a bigger you know I'm, I'm also not like a spectacle kind of person so it just fits the bill I think mm-hmm. being kind of more subdued yeah <laughs> in your persona yeah I totally agree with that I I was also like I don't know about the war shenanigans I mean yeah Tony Stark deals a lot and I just don't not a vibe. Yeah. Not not into that. For sure. And he fights gods, and I don't want to. I don't want to die. Yeah, which is, <laughs> I, I don't want to die there. At least Batman survives most of the time. Yeah, but at least at least Iron Man has the suit. Batman just has latex. No, Batman has like. <laughs> oh, he has a Batmobile. Yeah, Batman's got like a contingency plan for everything. It's not just a suit. That's true. That's true. I think I I would rather run Wayne Enterprises as well because I yeah, I don't want to deal in supplying military weapons to countries yeah so that's probably yeah the only reason why it's a big one but yeah if i was just going based on like if i was also thinking about the other resources that i have i would rather have the iron man suits than than the bat suit mm, okay. but i think i would rather run win enterprises just because i can just leave it all to lucius fox uh, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just come in <laughs> and make like hundreds of millions of dollars and make hundreds of millions and, and be in your in your private island while like answering doing notes. Oh my god! Doing a little sippy on, on your margarita. It's too real. <laughs> but yeah, I would run Wayne Enterprises just because I know I can leave it to Lucius Fox. I can just chill in the meeting, know that he's gonna handle it, and just go enjoy my millions of dollars, you know, or my billions of dollars just flying around the world. <laughs> I, I feel I feel that like like the Iron Man suits are very enticing. Mm-hmm. But then there's so much baggage in there. Yeah. I mean, all that Batman has is like he's very sad, right? I mean the sadness part is like part of that, but at the same time, he can still go have a coffee somewhere and then nobody's gonna know that he's Batman. And Iron Man he's like, I'm Iron Man or whatever. People know him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least you can be like a celebrity but also live a life mm-hmm. as Batman. True. And yeah. <laughs> well, Ravan. Thank you so much for playing with us. I'm playing in between. And to our audience, if you have any suggestions for future MPT questions, send us a message either on Twitter or Instagram at straightaheadap or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. So something I kind of want to mention before you jump into the full interview we're so happy to have Servan on. But the interesting thing about Servan is that he's actually been working in the industry for quite a bit. But this first half of his career was, you know, getting a certain actual being an animator. But he recently transitioned not too long ago into a story. So I thought that'd be an interesting kind of topic to kind of get into and kind of discuss. Like sometimes in your career, as you're kind of treading through the world of animation, sometimes you might have a massive career shift. And that's something that I think I want to dive more into. But before we do, let's start off by asking, how did you first get your start in the animation industry? Well, right out of college, I didn't start right away. You know, I was living in New York and at the time there wasn't a lot of animation work and I was trying to find my way. Like when you finish college, it's kind of scary, right? Like you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, what do I do now? If you didn't intern during college, Mm -hmm. your your options become a little smaller, at least at the time. I don't know how it is today Mm -hmm. because I graduated in 2012. And the first thing I did was I I just took a like regular job. I I went to work at an art store in Manhattan. And my idea was I wanted to work part-time, make some money and then see if I can find my way into a studio. The only local studio I knew about was Titmouse. Mm-hmm. So I sent an email. I found my way to like, I knew some friends from school already. So I, I did make some connections. Like at least I had some sort of like 
means of contact. Mm-hmm. And somebody gave me an email, email emails, and then they're like, hey, yeah, we're looking for interns um, on Super Jail season three. So I applied, and it wasn't paid oh. back then, but I took it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was like, yeah, New York, that's just, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like that it wasn't paid, but at the time, you take anything. Yeah. You know, when, you, when you're starting out, you're like, all right, I'm already working on a part-time job, so my, my other half of the part-time is I'm going to be interning. So yeah, and yeah, long story short, I got that internship, and my duties with that was... I was helping to clean up on like backgrounds. Oh, okay. So I had some knowledge of, I, I knew at the time Flash. So so that was very helpful that they wanted somebody like, oh, you know Flash and you can draw whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was my duties. And then sometimes, you know, some of my other duties that they would make me do was like mail stuff for them, like like animation paper to Korea. So I'll take it to the mm-hmm. FedEx across the street, things like that. Oh, wow. And they would buy me lunch, actually. <laughs> at least, at least they would buy you lunch. Yeah, they would buy me lunch, <laughs> which is at least something, but not to get too, too much into it, but I met a lot of my best friends during that time mm. even till today and that internship led to my first animation job at Timos which was I became a cleanup artist on Turbo Fast mm. although that gig didn't last very long I was technically let go of that position but I was there for four months there was a lot of budget cutting at one point mm. and basically I wasn't the fastest cleanup artist mm-hmm. so I knew I was going to get the axe at that point yeah well you were, you were still kind of getting your start at the point too like you were mm-hmm. still like still fairly green at that time yes I was but uh, during those four months I met my best friends like Brian Kaufman was one of like my best friends to this day and my friend Shelly Lau which they all went to college at the same time as me but they were my upperclassmen so I didn't meet all of them during school except Shelly but then Shelly introduced me to her friends and then I met my, fr- my friend Rachel Gittlebitch which was I don't know if you've if you've kept up kept up with the news lately like she's she's been a big part of Tim House in New York getting become unionized mm. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, we heard about the unionization of Titmouse. That's that's amazing. And when I was an intern, I used to sit next to Rachel, like live next to her desk. And she's been in the industry for a long time. So people like that, meeting them was very valuable to me. So I didn't care if I got I didn't get paid or also making a lot of money. But those friendships are so valuable for where I am today. Mm-hmm. It's crazy how that happens. Sometimes it happens like that. But after I left, my friend Brian, he always had like freelance work for me. So I always helped mostly for the beginning from 2013 to like 2014, 15. I was a freelancer, mm. mostly through Brian because he used to get us a lot of us together and help out on projects. Like I was like I'm doing backgrounds. I was a very technical guy at the beginning of my career. Like I always like drawing backgrounds. I, you know, I was always like the guy who draws robots or the guy that drew like. <laughs> I was just sort of like all over the place with what with what I used to do, which is why. My path at the beginning was like, I don't know what I, where I want to fit. I wanted to be an animator. Mm-hmm. I knew that. At the time, I still didn't quite know if I wanted to be a storyboard artist. So I was just going to stick it out and see where it goes. So after that, a lot of my friends that I just mentioned, they moved to LA and I hadn't moved yet. And I kept freelancing and working part-time jobs. And then finally, one day I made the decision to, around 2016, I was like, I want to move to LA because a lot of opportunities, my friends being there, I started to hear them talk about it. Hey, this is going on. This is what's happening. And I'm like, I want to be part of that. So I saved up money during the summer. I lived at my parents for a while. I saved like, I think I saved like $10,000 or something. And then I was like, I don't care what I do. I'm just going to go with that. And in fact, I moved in with my friend Brian again, and he he had a a roommate space and I lived with them during that time. But well, at the beginning before that, I was working on a, a small project for a YouTube channel. It was like some ghost 
I think it's called Paranormal Action Squad. It wasn't that great, but I'm very grateful for that project because it, it helped me like come to LA with like a little job yeah. while I was able to get like a studio job. So I'm yeah. grateful for those guys to get to give me that project. Yeah, something I kind of want to ask is that with freelance and stuff, you've worked these several different animation jobs and through that I have worked with a multitude of different studios. At that time, especially because like, you were learning and you're still like finding your way through the industry, how do you feel you learned and improved from one job to the next? Yeah, like every every job taught me something new, like whether I was learning a program better, just learning the pipeline better, something that I didn't quite learn in school. Like in school, you learn one way, but then when you actually apply it in the job, things change drastically because every project is different. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of how it worked out. Yeah, like I learned to animate better on a project, learned to work faster, things like that. And also working with people. I always like working with people. So having people skills was like a really good thing to, to have while growing and learning from others. Just knowledge, it's just like a, like a knowledge raining from every direction. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess one of the things I kind of want to ask a little bit more is that you see you started drawing faster. Was that because of mileage or just because like you built a better shorthand? I don't know if shorthand really works when you're animated because you have to draw the character on model and stuff. But yeah, I just wanted to know like drawing faster, especially how you're saying like one of the reasons why you were like go from your first job is because you were a little slow. Mm -hmm. So how did you feel like you built up that speed? Oh, I mean, yeah, that when I left that job, it, it, it inserted a seed into me that I needed to work on that, honestly. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, it felt negative having that happen, but it fueled me to approach that issue and tackle it. And I think every job since then, I've never been let go of anything since because after that, I started to see where were my weaknesses during the job so that each week I could perform and keep your job because that's essentially a lot of times, like even if you're working on a show, a lot of times it's, you have to also keep up, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's always at the back of my mind. I need to work on keeping up and making sure that I meet my deadlines and deadlines is always king in this stuff. And you know, that's time is money. <laughs> And yeah, that was the biggest lesson, honestly, for me from that, from then on in anything that I've done was always like aiming towards making myself be a valuable artist in, in whatever project I'm part of, even if I'm the weakest one in the team or maybe I'm strong in another team. That's always in the back of my mind. I want to be able to fit as much as possible to do what I want to do. Yeah, I think that was great. I think that was well put. And from there, you ended up having a six year long career working as an animator before starting as a storyboard revisionist on Star Wars Galaxy of Adventures. At what point, like what made you do the switch from animation to story? Okay, I'll give this a quick backtrack. Like <laughs> when I got my first job in LA was house animation. And then after that, I had like a break. There was no work coming in for me, but I was taking classes because I started to think about like, maybe I'll do storyboard someday. But then I got a job as a retake animator at Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, retake animation seems to be the thing that keeps happening in LA. A lot of work is going overseas. Mm -hmm. I'm not being an animator anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's, well, as I was at Warner Brothers, I didn't have any storyboarding experience. However, I started to make friends in that company that would let me speak to like higher ups mm -hmm. and people like I had a position to hire. And I started to just ask, hey, do you have storyboard positions open? Even if I had no experience, I was just like, ballsy <laughs> like that. I was like, I'm gonna ask. I just asked. I went to like the head of the studio one time. Not that, not like the CEO, but like, like the lady that, that ran that uh, department. Right. And I managed to get an interview because uh, people just like, I mean, I'm, I'm very uh, friendly and approachable, but like 
I genuinely wanted it so badly that I just went for it. And sometimes even the drive alone goes a long way, even if you don't get the job. <laughs> and I didn't get the job. I, I, I mean, after I was done with Warner Brothers. So after that was done, I had a big break in between Warner Brothers. And after that, I went to Tim House and animated on Midnight Gospel. Mm. But just before Midnight Gospel, I was taking storyboard pro classes. I wanted to learn the program. Yeah. And during the Midnight Gospel, that was my last animation job, technically. That's when I went back to Tim House. During Midnight Gospel, I was taking an action storyboarding class at CDA, Concept Design Academy in in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. You just pay for like a 10 week course. And when I finished that, I I didn't have a storyboard portfolio on me at all. I was just, I was literally walking in with nothing. And that class helped me build a tiny little portfolio. It wasn't perfect, but it was something to show. And during Midnight Gospel, I met the producer. My producer on Midnight Gospel was the same producer on Box Machina. But the guy who was directing Star Wars with Galaxy of Adventures was Sanjay Nan, who directed The Legend of Box Machina. So he's the one who gave me my chance mm. on storyboarding. He saw my little portfolio. He's like, oh, yeah, you can draw. I'll give you a chance. And he, he gave me a storyboard revisionist job on Galaxy of Adventures. Now, that job, I was so green that I would get notes on my drawings more than ever in the past because they were all about shorthand mm. and drawing fast and Sunjin taught me my storyboarding shorthand at the beginning, even till today. Is that because... As a revisionist, were you so used to, you know, when you were an animator drawing everything on model, like making sure, like looking at the turnarounds, making sure you had every design element on the character that you were struggling or you didn't know how to like simplify the design just to make sure that the character read in little design as possible? Was that the shift that you had to make in your brain? Yeah, yeah. I was always used to being on model and also animating. You were kind of rough, like your short hand. My short hand was very wristy. You know, when you storyboard, it's more like you you, you draw with your arm, not with your wrist kind of deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, it applies to animation too, and, and you know, and the better you get. But at the time, that was just my case. So it was definitely adjusting to minimizing detail and readability and scale and telling a story really it was uh, like things that i wasn't quite doing in, in the animation jobs that i was having they weren't teaching me those skills the same way that i wanted i feel like i wanted more out of it mm-hmm. and i think that's what kept leading me to i want to be storyboard artist and a lot of my friends are becoming storyboard artists and animation jobs are going they were kind of going away in a way they were, it felt a little scary i think mm-hmm. that that's what's happening but that didn't necessarily need to be the only reason i wanted to be in storyboard because mm-hmm. i knew storyboard was a hard thing to get into and and it's a lot of things to learn Mm -hmm. and I had to learn very quickly when I started on Star Wars. First of all, being a Star Wars was incredible. I wouldn't have, I would take that opportunity. Oh yeah, yeah. like what a series to start on on. Yeah. Like to have your first like story gig be on like a property like Star Wars, that's crazy. And since then, to be honest, I'm still surprised that it's gone the way it's gone. Cause a lot of my friends tell me like, how the hell do you start on that? And then this and that. <laughs> and honestly, it was being at the right place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> and meeting the right people mm-hmm. and also being willing to ask and be annoying. <laughs> to the producer <laughs> I always felt that was the lesson I learned when I was at Warner Brothers asking around is that nobody discouraged me not to get up and ask somebody at the top hey I want this job mm-hmm. because it's either now or never kind of situation sometimes and that's how I saw things it's like I'm go- I don't care if I'm not good enough I'm gonna go up to that guy and ask him mm-hmm. and let them tell me no or yes 
that's how I saw it. Yeah, it was crazy to me. You're still in your very first few years of like yeah. entering the story space. Yeah. Yeah. And then, no, it's crazy because you, you worked on Star Wars as a revisionist. You're a revisionist on Critical Role's Legends of Vox Machina. You boarded on Castlevania and currently now you're like boarding on Harley Quinn. Yeah. It's been a pretty stellar career. Yeah. And like, yeah, if you're able to talk a little bit more about it, can you explain to us like kind of what you do now as a sort of artist shifting from animation and stuff on Harley Quinn at Warner Brothers? Yeah, uh, on Harley Quinn, my duties is, you know, we work from the script and the script are pre-written and we uh, take the script and we uh, make the thumbs and roughs and based on the direction of the director and the supervising director. Uh, Harley Quinn is run, it's it's the different process, the way they do things there. Every show has their own way of running things. Mm-hmm. So you have to always adapt. So that can change, you know, from production to production. That's something to look out for because you could be comfortable in one production and you go to another one and it's like, oh, this is crazy. It's a busy, 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 a lot of, a lot going on. So coming from Watch Machina, which is an action show, they're going to like an action comedy, mm-hmm. totally different way of storyboarding. Mm-hmm. I also felt at the beginning of this, even still now, I still feel like I'm learning in a way to adapt to like this new way of storyboarding. So boarding in comedy, you set up the camera differently. You treat action differently. Mm-hmm. You're trying to go for the laughs. You're trying to go for like camera setups and you look at the script and you want to look at where is the comedy in the script, where are the serious parts, break those down and, and be like, mm-hmm. all right, I, that's a funny moment. I can see how I can make that appear on screen to look funny. Yeah. How you cut it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like if somebody gets, uh, if somebody falls on their face and you cut to a wide and you see them fall on their face, you show the full thing. That's like something you do in comedy. Whereas in action, you might show it differently. Mm-hmm. Those are things that I've been learning as me want to try like I want to try comedy so I got the opportunity and I did it and that's kind of then on the duties it's 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 very normal I guess the the process of storyboarding uh, but the, the difference is in Harley Quinn is that the thumb face the thumbing and rough face is very short so you, we have to work quickly and you make out you do make a lot of mistakes in the process but the director steers things like more towards the vision so there's a lot more notes on, on my end to fix than on other jobs otherwise that I've had. Mm-hmm. So that be, that makes it challenging. But one thing I recommend working on a show like Primetime, they work very clean, cleaner than probably any other project. Interesting. And XX are a little more strict about like, they're, they're more about being perfectionist, which is something that a lot of us in the animation side don't quite like. Because, you know, we want to we wanna finish things. The schedules don't allow yeah. sometimes to, to work this clean and, and yeah. as, to meet the expectations that they want in the time frame that they want. Yeah. And boarding, you have to do backgrounds. You have to we use 3D models now on, on this project. Oh, wow. So there's some hand-drawn backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You have to have a lot of like skill and like like drawing backgrounds and anatomy and, and animating and storyboarding these days. There's a lot more involved Yeah. because things go overseas and the overseas teams uh, will generally follow your storyboard very closely. If you make an acting beat and it comes back differently, most times they'll follow your drawings. But since I am an animator, I know how that's like um, if you're working in a production that you have to follow the board very strictly. Mm-hmm. And I, I know why that can happen. So when I'm boarding, I'm trying to think about how can I help an animator? Animators overseas, generally, they don't get paid as much, I'll say. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. And if I can help as much as possible on my end, I'll, I'll try. Right. And there are times where that doesn't quite fit the schedule to be as perfect with your board. So you want to do your best work. But most of the time, you're going to just put out whatever you put out. And then it'll get changed later and fixed later. But you've moved on to a new episode by then. So mm-hmm. our revisionists will take care of that with the director. Mm-hmm. 
So that's also something to expect that when you see the final thing, it might be a little different than when you turned in at the beginning. <laughs> but it's a collaborative job. Everybody's working together to make a thing. Yeah. Especially if you go to feature animation, that's a totally different thing. Yeah, um, pipeline's totally different. Yeah, I'm sure you like you've heard that before, but for the audience, like when you go into storyboarding and you start out, there's gonna be a lot of adapting and a lot of listening to what they want and. You do as much as you can in the time given. And there are times where you want to put a little love into something, and that's totally fair. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those people. I, I put a lot of love into my storyboards where I can, but and I get disappointed when I'm not able to. Mm -hmm. uh, and those times, will ha that will happen. So, mm -hmm. yeah, sort schedules on, on Harley Quinn to, to make it a little hard. And things are moving very fast. So I'm glad that it's the job I have now with the experience that I have now. Because I feel like before that, I would have crashed and burned and quit. <laughs> yeah. You know? But I, I, am, I am enjoying like working with the people I'm working with. But it's definitely a tougher production. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a lot. But I, I am glad that I'm doing it because it's teaching me a skill in comedy and action. So Yeah, for sure. It'll, it'll, it's just another thing that will help me for the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did want to ask you, like... You had animated on shows like Super Jail and Midnight Gospel, which is definitely like a more cartoony, sort of transformative, like loose drawing style, I would say. Mm -hmm. As opposed to like, you know, Castlevania, that's very tight, like Vox Machina, Castlevania, those are very tight, like anatomy sort of, you know, realistic drawings. Mm -hmm. Was that part of the hurdle that you had to overcome in terms of like switching into story? Because it seems like you storyboarded on, and I assume like Star Wars was also a little bit more like two model you know, mm -hmm. a little more anatomy base. Was that part of the shift for you? Yeah. Just to, just to say, like, on, on Super Joe, I wasn't an animator, but... You were doing, like, cleanup, right? Yeah, I was doing mostly cleanup, yeah. But being a gospel, I was an animator. So that was, like, the kind of tone board style was, you know, very much like, like you know, like Adventure Time, etc. a little bit. Mm -hmm. But my background in my art, my personal art, I've always liked drawing anatomy mm. and that kind of art, like anime or, like... Mm. You know, I wasn't much of a comic book guy, but I always like comic book characters. So I was a big anime being to that. And that was always at the background for me. Okay. I wanted to be part of a show that let me spread my the wings that I haven't been spreading. And a lot of animation shows weren't allowing me to do that. Um, I wasn't, yeah, yeah. Or rather, I wasn't even, I wasn't working on a show that wasn't letting me draw like that. And mm -hmm. I didn't know what's marketing was going to happen, but I was a big fan of it. <laughs> the D&D background. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I discovered D&D because of my DM and it was through Critical Role. And when Critical Role happened, I was like, I want to be, I want to work on that. But I didn't know that happened because during Star Wars, but Star Wars was that first time that I felt, okay, this is where I want to be. I'm starting to work with people that draw, that do this. Mm -hmm. And that was like probably the happiest, one of the happiest moments in my career that I had up until then. And it's not saying that I enjoyed Mena Gospel incredibly, by the way, but it wasn't until that point where I started to feel like this is where I want to be. It took that long. And that's that's why I feel like I'm rather new into the storyboarding because I could have started earlier and I wish I did, but sometimes things happen differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's just like I feel like I'm right at home doing action. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. And one of the things I kind of wanted to ask for you, like what was the biggest difference that you kind of noticed from jumping from job to job as an animator versus jumping job to job as a story artist? The difference was preparation. <laughs> I think hmm. before going into a storyboarding job, I feel like I have to prepare a little more. This is how I process things. I have to take in things in many times before I can like retain them and absorb them. 
versus the drawing side of things, story, my brain just works differently. I have to read things many times before I can absorb them. <laughs> mm. So I spend a lot of time in that part of it. And where versus animation, I could jump into a project faster. Like I watch the animatic, I get familiar with it, and then I scan my scene and I start animating. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like that was the biggest difference. It's, it's the pre- preparation and, and making that switch. Thinking more story. And also thinking like an animator. I think being an animator was very beneficial mm-hmm. going in. Because in fact, I got hired several times, even on Vox Machina, because of my animation background. Mm-hmm. They were looking into people that animated because since things get sent overseas and I animated in-house. Except Mina Gospel, that was animated in-house. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But for storyboarding jobs that I had so far, they always ask, Do you, can you animate? Because we're going to be doing running cycles and we're going to be doing all these things. Yeah. And the animators are going to generally follow that. And that knowledge is very helpful. There's people that are vastly better than I am as an animator. So that was also a struggle in a way. Mm-hmm. But it's always, it'll, it will always be a struggle, no matter what. Yeah. But I always prepare like i look at the product like if i'm going to be working on box machina i will think what show is similar to box machina that i can study mm-hmm. actually my one of my directors sunjin worked on avatar the last airbender he and timos did the opening years ago a lot of people don't know that wow timos did the opening of avatar so those guys have, have a long pedigree in that so they also taught me stuff you know to switch from being too cartoony to pulling back in storyboarding and, and action. You have to pull back the acting. It's more realistic. Mm. That was another adjustment coming from animation. It's a, if you don't have that background, then you have to adapt to like this new way of animating and this new way of approaching it. Mm-hmm. So in a way, if you know what you want to do and, and if you want to storyboard or animate somewhere else and, and on a project, doing some preemptive familiarizing with it is helpful. Just familiarize with it and yeah. as much as you can. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I've never boarded professionally, but that is the feeling I get like being a storyboard artist versus being an animator. Because when you're an animator, at least in my experience, they give you the boards and you're supposed to follow them pretty closely. You can add a little bit more acting, like a little bit of the details. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that is figured out for you, like, you know, the framing, mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. When you're a board artist, you get a script and the visuals, you're kind of pulling it out of your head. Yeah. The whole thing from scratch, mm-hmm. you know, from nothing. Yeah. I mean, maybe you have a board partner and that'll help. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot more intensive, I would say, in terms of like thinking power where you're positioning everything. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, believe it or not, like people forget the directors are very hands-on too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's say you did your thumbs and you did your pass. You're throwing your idea there and the director is there to take that and make it better mm-hmm. or maybe he'll like what you did. Mm-hmm. And if your idea gets thrown out and redone, it's not you. Yeah. It's usually because the director has a vision and he'll give you like his take on it and then you'll discuss it. Um, some directors are different process. They'll be more strict about it and the idea, but then some directors are like super open like oh yeah i like your idea let's just switch change the angle a little and then they can retain your idea while improving upon it like mm-hmm. that is like a director does super hands on like that um, mm-hmm. and storyboarding is not just you mm-hmm. yeah the directors and you are making this yeah <laughs> so so expect that too yeah that your idea will be there but it will be it might change or it might not change but you're making this together and that's also like a mental thing that you have to keep in mind yeah yeah, ultimately, as much as you want to put yourself there, you're serving the director who's then serving the supervising director who is then serving the executive producer who's funding it. So like they have all their ideas and you have yours. Yeah, 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 exactly. Hopefully, whatever you make comes back down, <laughs> retained. <Yeah. laughs> so one of the things I kind of want to ask is that 
for you, how is like that transition process from being a story visionist on Critical Role, The Legend of Vox Machina, to being a storyboard artist of Castlevania? Was that a big jump for you because Vox Machina was super anime-based and like anime-like that jumping onto Castlevania as a board artist didn't feel like a big jump for you? I'll say this. The jump was big in the... Once I was on Castlevania, it's the, the process. They work totally differently. <laughs> I, I feel like it was easier going in and we're more confident because... I had two years behind me of doing revisions on Vox Machina. I did board a tiny bit on that show, but the revising process was like a big lesson. So mm-hmm. going and, and, I, and I was already like used to directors just giving me notes and notes every day and just grinding daily. Mm-hmm. So yeah, going into Castlevania compared to the previous times where I had the interest, I was just mentally better there. I was more there. And I took the test and the test was hard, but I did it. <laughs> and I feel like even during the test, I learned new things, to be honest, because I had an opportunity to make a full piece. Yeah. And my, my, my take that knowledge that I had fresh from Vox Machina and apply it. The biggest difference with Castlevania was it held back a little bit more in the acting mm-hmm. and the drawings were more detailed. We have to be, we have to be more on model. Vox Castle, Machina allowed us to express a little more when it came to like the styles. Like every artist had like their individual boarding style, but everybody kept their proportions. Like proportions are king mm-hmm. and layout, um, but you didn't have to be perfect at drawing, let's say Grog or Pike or whatever. But on Castlevania, we were in a way storyboard artists slash key animators-ish or layout, but we had a layout team. Because like the tone's kind of different between the both series, right? Because Castlevania is a bit yeah. more serious. Vox Machina, yeah. it has yeah. serious moments, but it's very like, you know, fantasy, mm-hmm. comedic, because, mm-hmm. you know, the guy's critical role, they're like a funny group of people. Yeah. So they, there's probably more opportunities to like have those maybe over-exaggerated anime faces yes. or those little things like that. Yeah. So that and, makes sense. Yes. And Castlevania was yeah more serious and just learning to draw the characters at the beginning was hard, but I practiced before I started that job. Like I said before, before I went into that job, I knew what job was going to go for. Right? And funny enough, before I got that job at all, I was teaching a young artist that wanted to get a layout job on it, how to draw more on model for the show. Because mm-hmm. I, I guess some people that were asking for feedback, but this person was showing a lot of interest, young artists. I was like, hey, I feel like I could help this guy whatever way I can. Uh, maybe I'm, I, don't, I don't know how qualified I am, but I'll try to help. And me <laughs> him talking about Castlevania and then Sam Dietz reached out to me um, after I made an animation fanner after I did this talk with my friend and that animation got me uh, got Sam interested in giving me that job so wow. this, okay that, that happened right but <laughs> because I was already practicing the characters again mm-hmm. uh-huh. when I went into the job I felt slightly more ready to take it on yeah. because I was doing model sheet breakdowns with another person. I'm like, how did that work? That just worked out that way. I was practicing before knowing I was going to get hired. <laughs> but that was the biggest difference is drawing more model. And even even the way they approach drawing backgrounds, like they're not very detailed with the backgrounds. We had 3D models. So I had to learn Blender mm-hmm. my first week. Um, I knew Blender very little. But it's been years, so I had to relearn. I had to relearn how that, to to use Blender to to use the 3D backgrounds because that helps. Out. I mean, that's a thing that's starting to happen in storyboarding these days. Yeah, I've been using Blender a lot. I would recommend that, in fact, to any young artist starting out, don't fear the 3D program. Learn perspective before 3D or learn it together. But I super recommend learning 
perspective and then to apply to the 3D because the 3D will give you your model. But going at it with the 3D, with the perspective knowledge, mm-hmm. makes that choice, whatever angle you're choosing, even stronger. Yeah, very true. That was another learning curve from Castlevania. It's like, oh, 3D now. It's like, oh, crap. I have to draw and do 3D. But I'm not modeling anything. I'm just moving the camera around. But yeah, yeah just throwing that out there because that is happening and I recommend it. Learn 3D. Yeah. SketchUp and Blender are the thing that most students are using for those things. Box Machina was hand-drawn, though. <laughs> it's all, you draw all the backgrounds. So that, you got to know perspective. Like, you got to know that 3D, man. Oh, that 3D perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm clapping my hands like a prayer. <laughs> as, as we start to wind down with our second to last question, one of the things I kind of want to ask you is that, do you think your cultural background influences your voice as an artist? It's kind of a question we like asking on this podcast, just because many people interpret it different ways. Sometimes it is... Sometimes our cultural background affects our art specifically, or sometimes it just affects the way we carry ourselves and our roles in the production. How do you feel your cultural background influences you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's a, that's a really good question because that is something that's always at the back of my mind, but I don't necessarily apply it to everything I do. However, it's come to play. Like when there have been times where I'll get a scene and the, the scene has like, let's say some like subject that might be uncomfortable for some and might be easier for me to than others to approach it because mm-hmm. I'm a person of color and the scene has like I say like a character of color if I'm able to insert a little bit of an experience in the acting or in, in the moment that, that feels genuine I might try but also I wouldn't make that like main thing that I'm doing it's just that it might help I feel like as I'm doing it, it might help me mm-hmm. there's times where this is NDA so I won't say what it is, but I've mm. had gotten a scene in a project where I was the only person of color in, in the particular project mm-hmm. and they gave me a scene that had characters of color and I and I did it and they liked it. But I almost feel like they gave me that scene because of that. But I also I wasn't upset about that because I understood the decision. You know, given the, the assignment. Yeah. So I respect them for that, for letting me do that. And that might come in handy, but not necessarily like a reason for you to do a scene. You can be anybody and do a scene. Mm-hmm. But if you are going to do a scene, at least do some studying. Like I did, even I, I had to do some background studying to even make that scene happen. And it wasn't that crazy, but I had to familiarize myself with the history of things. And that's all I'll say about that. But um, in a way, I don't like to approach it like it's my duty. Yeah. More like it comes and goes. And I am glad that I am a person of color. I'm a Hispanic from a little island and I am doing these things. And it's especially out here in LA, I don't meet Dominicans. Like I only know one Dominican friend, which is Luz, like from, we went to college together. Luz is actually like, Dana named her Luz from our house. Oh. Like it's the same person. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But Luz is like the only Dominican person I know here in LA. And I barely see Luz. Like I haven't seen Luz in a while, especially since COVID. Uh, we used to like running to get into each other doing it, like, little events and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. but that's it really. Like, but there, there, there is a little feeling in there, I think, when you're approaching a project. Like this is important and I'd like to see more of it. Especially these days, I'm starting to see a lot more like black animated projects or like Latino projects and Asian projects. And that makes me happy to see that it's becoming more of a forefront and LGBTQ stories being told. And yeah, I, I think it's, if you're able to put that out there and you have the power, go for it, you know? 
I feel like like I look at my own personal work too, and sometimes I've been considering this. Like I'm like I don't draw enough characters of like land heritage, but I don't think I that happens because I don't want to do it. It's sometimes the idea is not there, so I don't do it. <laughs> it's yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. But if I'm ever feel inspired, then I will do it. I think that's also see where your inspiration guides you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of have a question. Based on that, since you've been working in the, the industry for nine years, like in various different roles, different companies, and you mentioned like at one point you were like the only person of color on a team and, and they gave you a, a specific team because of that. Do you feel that like in the past decade on teams that you've been on, has there been like a shift in like people of color, like joining teams and stuff like that? Like, have you seen sort of a change within the room? Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll say this: most of my production so far, have, I've had a lot of friends that are like Korean and Chinese and African American and Latino. But it's been very little Latinos, surprisingly. I don't know if it's just the things are right now, but I'm often like the one or two or three guys that speak Spanish. <laughs> mm-hmm. However. I like that there is like a variety. Um, there's a lot of women in a lot of things I've been part of too, more than before. A lot of, uh, I have non-binary friends, I have trans friends that are like been in teams as well. Like I like that there's been more variety and, and they're able to tell their stories and approach it in a more genuine way because I feel like that's very important. There's a lot of trailblazers out there that are doing their thing and they're fearless, more fearless than even I am. I I wish I was, I had like their personality, like I'm such a subdued person, but (laughs) I try my best, I think, you know, to at least if I'm, if I'm a person of color in a production, I don't want that to be my identity in the way that it stands out in like, like you're the guy, like the go-to guy. You want to be part of it as a member of the team show your value because your value is like in a way it's your track record because people will learn like hey you worked on that or i heard you did well there sometimes that's all that matters for people Mm -hmm. we like your work on this project Mm -hmm. would you like to work here Nobody ever tells me, hey, Sirvan, you're a Hispanic guy. We're going to hire you for this job. Like, I would be offended Thank if God. you told me I that. I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> no. Like, hey, we need Latino guys for this project. Like, um, like, fine. Yeah, sure. Like, I get that. Like, if, if the project calls for that because they want voices, mm-hmm. that's fine because it's been stated. But if it's during the pro- like production, I'm like, hey, like, you know. There's special occasions where like it feels it's correct, like like I said before, like like I felt like it was a good choice, and that doesn't happen much at all. That's probably like the only time I thought it was a good idea. The fact that they asked at all, yeah. they, they're like, hey, we don't have enough people doing that. Can you? Would you be like, would you be able to take it? So. I feel like that is like, it's like a, it's a thin line for some people. Some people don't know how to approach it. Mm-hmm. I've gotten lucky so far, especially Vox Machina. Vox Machina was a very diverse crew. And even in the leadership roles, we have people from all, a lot of walks of life in that production. And I think that's what made it stronger as well. There was a lot of that, that diversity in that production made it beautiful. It's a unicorn, <laughs> and I wish a lot more productions were like that. I cherish that group. I cherish all of my, a lot of friends that I made, but I truly cherish that group, that core group, and we, the friends we made there. Right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Servan. Where can our audience find you, and is there anything else you want to promote? First of all, thank you very much, guys, uh, for having me today. Yeah, um, no worries, man. 
Great having you on. Thank you. So yeah, you can find me on Instagram. So it's Servan, my first name, S-E-R-V-A-N, Kenyu, which is K-E-N-Y-U. Uh, and my, my Twitter is same characters, King, K-E-N-Y-U-0-5 on Twitter. That's just a character I made as a child, so I use it for like my pen name. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's cute. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's yeah. not, it's, yeah, it's just I, I used it for like my pen name for video games and then I just kept it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just my first character I made as an 11-year-old and that's it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm currently, yeah, I'm working on Harlequin right now. And a uh, thing that I haven't, I haven't announced that publicly yet, but I can just say, like, I'm, I'm currently freelancing on Invincible. Oh, Ooh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's my first time working on that. And it's been crazy because I'm working on that freelancing plus working on Harley. So I'm, I have been very little sleep. Oh, that's it. That's intense, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a cup of coffee at all times. <laughs> It's a lot of work, honestly, but I am learning so much because I'm working with people that are features, so feature art, board artists. So that's a new thing that's just cool. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, I'll have some further news down the road. Just keep an eye out if you follow me on Instagram. It's a lot of cool stuff coming up that I can't say yet. Oh, Castlevania Nocturne got just announced, the project I worked on at Powerhouse, which is uh, Richter Belmont, yeah. which is my favorite Rick, my favorite Belmont, Woo. got announced yesterday. Yesterday at the time of recording. <laughs> yeah, yesterday at the time of recording. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that. I don't know when it comes out, but it was announced, so um, I can say it now. I can say the title. It's been a crazy year. Crazy <laughs> <laughs> <A> few years. <laughs> and I'm blessed to be here. And you guys interviewing me, it's it's crazy that, yeah, thank you for letting me uh, have a voice here. And I'm always welcome to talk and talk more. I, I could tell many stories and give a lot of advice on if you want to be a revisionist or server artist. Well, on the topic of advice, as we finally come to a close, what final advice would you want to bestow on those that want to pursue a career in animation? Okay, so the, the, the advice I like to give is be fearless about it and you need to want it very much, want it very hard because once you're here, it feels intimidating going in, but once you do it, it's like, if you have the, you have to, you have the fire in your belly, you can take on anything. And also another big advice is don't let anybody take advantage of you also starting out. Like, I know that you might be hungry, like, oh, you want to, you can, you will do anything, but also put value in your time and your health and also treat those things as equally as possible. But then study as much as possible, whatever project you want to be part of. If you want to be on, on Invincible, you want to be on SpongeBob or anything that whatever range 3D, the earlier you can start to put those eggs in different those baskets and learn, the easier it'll be going into them. A lot of the most successful artists, they start at different times, but they all focus on learning like these like core skills. Somebody told you don't draw anime. Like I draw anime all my life, but here I am drawing anime. Like mm -hmm. I never said no to that. Yeah. Somebody tells you not to draw something, but that's what you want to do. You do it and be really good at it because your, your high skill is what's going to hire you or don't always also do something because you want to get hired somewhere. Also do it because you love doing it mm -hmm. because that will translate to what you do eventually. You have you want to have fun at the same time. You don't want to just be a drone 100% of the time yeah. for the sake of it. You love it and then, and then you will have more fun and you will know where you want to be much easier by the time you make that decision to switch to professional or beginner no matter what you do yeah see it like you want to be there it will be so much easier it will be the easiest decision you'll make mm -hmm. and the hard work follows it'll, it'll, it'll be there the hard work is there but that, I think that's the best advice I can give 
that totally follows with like everything that you've said about you know landing the the job on like star wars and feeling the happiest that you've ever felt kind of like drawing things that you've always loved to draw so mm-hmm. that totally yeah it totally follows yeah i always hold on to that feeling <laughs> yeah oh well thank you so much for joining us today and if you audience member enjoyed our interview with servan please rate and follow us on anchor spotify or wherever you tune in Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at straightaheadap. If you have any suggestions for future guests, please contact us on social media or send us an email at straightaheadpodcast at gmail.com. We love discovering new professionals and want to use this platform to boost these voices of the future. Special thanks to our editor, Edgar Arellano. And finally, a big thanks to our music composer, Daniel Rodier. Thanks again for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, who has a bright future straight ahead. Until next week, have a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.